Imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, and then getting to choose from that group. That's what this leadership podcast is all about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and changing communities. I'm so glad you're part of this leadership podcast community, where together we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Welcome to Garage to Goliath. I'm Dan Quiggle, and I'm honored to have Chuck Bender joining me on my podcast today. Chuck is the CEO of two thriving companies, Attentus Technologies, an outsourced managed IT service provider, and Skynet Broadband, which offers high-speed internet access to rural Washington State. Chuck is an accomplished leader, a successful entrepreneur, a prominent member at EO, which I'll explain in a few minutes what the heck that is, a husband for 27 years, and a father of two young men. Hello, Chuck, and welcome to Garage to Goliath. Thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, this is like, I've been looking forward to it for last week since you first talked to me about it. So, Well, let me let me say this. You know what I love about this, Chuck, is you're not just a leader in your community, in your business, in your family, but you're also a leader of leaders within EO. And and if I can explain to, to my uh, community here a second what EO is, it's, it's called Entrepreneurial Organization. Uh, they're all over the world. It's, it's addicting. I mean, you get around these people, they have so much energy and they're, they're, there's power in peers, right? So these are groups of CEOs that get together and help work on their lives and, and work on their businesses. And, and so Chuck, not only is a member of EO, but also is the incoming regional chair for the U.S. West region. So he's a leader of leaders. So that's kind of where I want to start because Chuck, come on, you get to see it on so, di- so many different levels. But what is the difference? Because when, you, you, when you're around these people all the time, you learn the secret sauce, right? You start to see what works and what doesn't. So what is the difference that you see just from the very beginning, uh, the difference between mediocre, mediocre leadership and exceptional leadership? What are the traits? Well, I will tell you, um, at the level I'm serving now and the folks I'm serving with today, uh, it is all about servant leadership. Um, the... The people who show up uh, have done the work already to set their egos aside and really try to help other people be the best that they can possibly be. And that it's a service to mission. It's a clarity of of intention and expectations um, and the character. Like every day I'm astonished by the caliber of people I get to work with um, in EO and, and in the leadership and the path of leadership. And that's including the people that I lead, quote unquote, because um, they're all great leaders in their own rights. Um, my opportunity is, is uh, I, I guess the biggest difference I would see in the area for growth I've seen is it's leadership from influence versus leadership from power or positional authority. So, so it's when someone finally acknowledges or understands the impact that they get to have on people's lives. Yeah. So it's influence, not power. And, and there's a big difference, right? Power is being able to force people to do things or, you know, twist their arm. But, but influence can be used in a different way where we can actually uh, maybe motivate them, inspire them, acknowledge their, you know, their contribution, and, and maybe even challenge them to be the best version of themselves. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's a pretty good, that's a, that's actually more eloquent than I actually have come up with. So <laughs> oh, please, no one can out eloquent you, Chuck Bender. <laughs> I, mean, I know you. You continually, <laughs> you continually to impress me. That's why I love talking to you. You always come up with these tidbits, and I end up quoting you in my speeches. I end up quoting you to my family, to my friends. So that's why I was so excited to get you, get you on, on the show today. Um, so you talked about intention and expectations. What do you mean when you say that? 
Well, I think um, I think so, so much gets lost in translation when we're focused on um, do, 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 like here's the task, here's the list, here's the task, here's the list. Um, and for me, it my whole leadership style is to really focus on what my intention is. Because if I, if, I, if I do a good job of really helping the people I'm working with to understand the goal, like here's the intention, here's what we're trying to do, here's what I'm trying to say, they forgive the heck out of me. I mean, because I can be crass at times, I could be a little choppy at times, I can sometimes say the um, inelegant things or say things in an ele- inelegant way. Um, so by leading with intention and, and having really what I'm trying to accomplish articulated, people hear it through that lens instead of through the lens of their own um, concerns, fears, insecurities, judgments, all those types of things. So, so for me, intention is a, is a big deal. Um, and then for where expectations are concerned, I, I truly believe that the key to happiness in all relationships are clearly articulated and here's the key part accepted expectations the thing about influence and leading leaders in eo nobody's paid everybody's a volunteer right so everybody i'm working with with the exception of the professional staff who are the best professional staff that you'll ever run into in any organization and 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 i've had a chance to work with them and you're you're correct i mean they're amazing they are phenomenal everybody else is a volunteer. So you, you can't run around just telling people what to do, you know? So you, you essentially, you um, inspire and invite them based on a mission or a problem that they're passionate uh, to solve or have passionate, have a passionate resolve to solve. Um, and then help set an intention and then adopt them or have them adopted into wherever you're trying to go. And you do that by setting the expectations for the role um, leading volunteers is not easy. Leading volunteer entrepreneurs, like none of us want to be led, right? You know, we're, we we all are entrepreneurs because we couldn't get a job. Let's well, just we, yeah, well, we all have the <laughs> we all have the answers. That's the thing. We know everything. So we, why would you tell us what to do? <laughs> exactly. And, and so the the trick there is just saying, hey, listen, if you're going to join me on this journey, here's what I need from you. Do you agree to do that? You know, do, can I get agreement with you? Because if I get agreement, I can get out of the way because their own integrity is going to deliver way better than I ever could. They're all smart, right? They're really smart. They're accomplished people. Um, they're all running successful businesses already. So I'm not going to teach them a whole lot about uh, uh, about operations or um, you know maybe a little bit here on the edges of style. But at the end of the day, they've already done something important. So my job is to just help channel their energy towards a common goal, um, which is a regional focus or the global focus priorities that we're trying to solve in in an organization. And that's true in my business. So if I talk to my operations manager, my company's president, or my general manager in the other business, it's like, hey, guys, here's the, that's the hill we're trying to take. I trust that you're going to take the hill. And if you take the hill by operating within this set of core values, you're never going to get in trouble with me. You know, you're always going to be in the right place. You may not hit the bullseye every time, but you're always going to be on the dartboard. And that's a huge win. Well, I think, you know, and I want my listeners really to think about this for a second from your personal life, from your business experience, you know, whether you're an employee or an employer, 
but he talked about expectations and setting those within a relationship. Um, and a relationship could be in business, personal, with your spouse, with your kids, you know, setting those expectations and then having them accepted. Like you said, Chuck, that's a big part of it, right? So we all kind of know where we're headed. And then being intentional in the actions after that. So, I mean, this is this is huge. If, if, if you see this happening in your own life, good for you because that's, you know, good things, great things can come out of it. But if those things aren't happening, if you're out of line, alignment, if you're not in sync with the people around you, it's very difficult to lead. And mm-hmm. so I just ask uh, my listeners to really kind of drill down on that and, and think about that in your own life. Like, are you doing that at home? Are you doing that with your business? Are you doing that at work, in your community? I think you'll have better results uh, when you do. So, so Chuck, what what does it take to be an entrepreneur? Wow, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I think being an entrepreneur in actuality, it takes resilience. It takes the ability to withstand failure. Um, I uh, I mean, I've had a million good ideas and two that have worked. Right. <laughs> so it's <laughs> what is the what is what does it mean to to absorb failure, take the learning, to take the lessons out of the failure, iterate, and 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 imagine a life of constant iteration. And I think that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. I think it also means that you have to be somebody who who, I mean, nobody gets into becomes an entrepreneur because they have a great idea. They have a great problem they want to solve. <laughs> And they just, they recognize that there's this problem and success really comes to those who solve problems for more people, right? So to me, you know, the, the entrepreneurship is just how do I serve? Uh, and, and if I have a skill set or an idea or a solution that serves humanity in some way, shape or form, then I can turn that into a business. And I think entrepreneurs really have a, have a lens, an opportunity lens, their antenna is up for recognizing those types of things. I think the challenge is I've been in, been in business for a long time is figuring out which opportunities to do. Right. Like there's there's never enough opportunity. There's opportunity everywhere rather, I guess is the best way I'd describe it. Um, and, and entrepreneurs are the ones who see that opportunity, are willing to bet on themselves. Um, they're willing to lose it all to get there. Um, they're, uh, they're, they learn as they go. Um, you know, and my own personal experience, I mean, I'm in two businesses that frankly, I never went to school for. I just, they just, I kind of saw a problem and went and attacked it. But I think a lot of people uh, have this linear mindset in the world of I'm going to go to school, I'm going to study this thing, I'm going to go work on that thing for a while, and then I'm going to retire and I'm going to have a family and so on and so forth. Entrepreneurs are nonlinear. I think- yeah, I think if you, if you no, if you would have told me I would have been in the vending business a month before, I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" If you'd have told me I'd been in the title business a month before, you know, I actually kind of got into the mindset of it. I would have said, "What are you talking about?" Because it, it's you know doors that open in your life, isn't it? And and I will say this: you you brought up a good point that again I think we should focus on for a second because I I think that if you if you if you try to make money, if profit is your main motivation, it's going to be a long miserable life. But like you said, if solving a problem. Or, or, or providing a great service is your, is your, you know, your goal. The bigger the problem you solve, the bigger, you know, the more service that you can provide, the more money you're going to make. Profit is a byproduct product of how well we serve others. And that's what I love about it. And, and that's why, I mean, it's interesting, your Skynet, you know, this, this broadband service that you have, tell how that came. Cause that was you moving out to the country, wasn't it? Exactly. So, um, I, uh, 
I had been in sales. My first, uh, my business at that time was I owned dating services nationally. I had offices all around the country. We were helping um, single individuals find a partner. Um, our average age was, you know, 35 to 50. So we weren't dealing with, you know, the younger crowd. We were dealing with people, well, they're younger now. <laughs> I'm in my 50s. But at the time, they were not, you know, the typical target for dating services. And it was all pre-internet. And um, we had developed an, uh, a CRM system that was all online. Well, I moved to the country um, because, well, that's a whole story in itself, but um, I moved to the country because I needed to get away from the city because I was having nightmares holding my three-year-old in my arms because he would run out into a busy street and get hit by a car. I was having dreams every night, these dreams, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, oh my gosh, honey, we have to move to the country where he can run in a field. And the worst thing that's gonna happen is he might hit a ditch. I mean, let's just do that, right? Um, so I move out to the country and uh, the house I've moved into didn't, I'm still in the house actually. Um, the, um, you couldn't get high-speed internet. Well, we were told they could get high-speed internet. There's a couple guys who are like, well, listen, we can do high-speed internet at your place. Um, it's wireless. It's this new thing. It'll work great. So I drop a fortune on the house to get the acreage, move out to the country, and it closes. And guess what? They can't get internet at my house. Um, and their solution was that I could buy a T1, which was $900 or $1,000 a month at the time for internet, which we all scoff at today, but that was it. It was a 1.5 megabits per second. <laughs> um, and there, and we could help offset the cost of it if we could put an antenna on my house and my neighbors could get internet. That was that was how this thing started. It was two guys. Um, uh, one of them is a very successful principal at Microsoft. His brother is actually a partner of mine in Attentus today. So it's a, that's a, that's a, a fun story, great story, but um, they didn't have any money, undercapitalized, couldn't solve a problem. So I was like, well, you guys know how to do it. I think I know how to do business. I didn't realize I didn't know shit about business. I was just lucky at that point. And uh, uh, excuse my language, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so then I, uh, I, uh, I say, okay, I'll buy a buy in, right? So I buy in, pay off their debt. And then one leaves, the, the really good one leaves, the other one stays. And I realize quickly that he doesn't know what he's doing. And now I own a company that I don't know what I'm doing. on. I have no idea. I just know that everybody I look at, as far as I can look, as far as my eyes can see to their horizon, had my same problem. So it was a, it was going to school. I'd go to work all day and get told stories from from this partner, and I'd go home at night and Google everything he said to find out what was true and what wasn't, um, and tried to hire, find some who's to help me, and and it's grown over eighteen years in business now. Got thousands of customers, and, uh, and it's turned out to be a pretty good story. But and, man, and can I ask the, can I ask real quick, like, how did you come up with the money? Did you have some money on the side? I mean, because I know there are a lot of listeners out there that have this dream of starting a business, and you know, it's very daunting. I mean, because you know, you got to go get a business license, you got to go all through the, this process, and you need a business plan, or at least you should have one, of course. And you know, a P and a sample P and L, and and money to fund it. Like, how did that work out for you? <laughs> well, uh, so I was in EO at the time. So I had just that had been in EO for a year and a half. And uh, I had a forum mate who is a dear friend today still, um, who sat me down and I saw my very first financial model. I had been in business in the dating business for 15 years and had never seen a financial model. We just did advertising, people came in, we sold them, we made money, we had more money at the end of the year than the beginning, and we did that a lot, and we made a lot of money. So we thought we were like really good at business. Um, <laughs> we were not, we were terrible at business. But 
um, learned a lot in that experience, but the, the, he, he broke out a Excel spreadsheet, built out this whole financial model for me. And I was like, okay, you know, the best thing about this business is it's mostly equipment. It's equipment and labor. So I can use a little bit of cash to, to handle the labor part and I can finance all the equipment. So I just leased as I went, you know, cause the, in the business though, you're, you get paid per month by everybody. So somebody signs up, they pay you $50 a month or whatever the number is um, for your internet. if you had phone, so really the equipment to sign somebody up is about 400 to $500. So you're a year before you break even on a customer if you're cash out front. But if you're on a three-year lease on that same equipment, you're making money right out of the gate. So that was how we grew the business is we would just lease uh, you know, hundred, a couple hundred batches of whatever we needed and we'd go out and deploy it. And then we would go back to the bank and say, Hey, look at our revenue now. And they would give us another lease. And then we just built the business on bank financing essentially. But see, um, but see, this is what I love about America. I mean, there's just so much opportunity out there, but it takes risk to do that. I mean, you're still taking out financing. You're pr probably personally signing for this equipment and the loan everything. and doing everything. <laughs> but, but, and I, I guess that's my next question then is like, how do you coach people to overcome that fear? Is it possible you coached? I mean, to, to, to be able to take that risk or take that chance, that chance for, for, for change in your life. So I think, um, I think, yes. I, I think part of the, you know, I think people use money as this, um, as a, I think in a lot of cases, it's an excuse. It just depends on what you're trying to do. Like if I need to develop a software that's going to take me six months to develop and I have to have highly paid and highly skilled employees to put that together, um, then it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. I might look to solve that with a partner who's highly skilled and give up equity or, or look at some different ways. Um, but for many businesses, in fact, I would argue almost every, you know, if you look at the scale of entrepreneurs and, and what, and people who are businesses in the world, most people are actually really good technicians at what they do. And they're making money by selling what they do to communities individually, you know, whether you're a window washer or you're a cook or you're a mechanic or whatever, that's where most businesses begin, right? The transition from there to something that's more resembles or more resembles a business where you're leveraging. And, that, and I think that's probably the, the word I would, I would try to coach the most on is leverage is how do you leverage it? So you're not getting paid by the hour anymore as an, as an employee where your business is paying you because you're providing extra value over and above what you can do in an hour. It's, um, it's, it's why every doctor is trying to get a PA or they're trying to get a patent on some product that, you know, some, something that they've built or, or created or a lawyer too. I mean, why they're having, you know, other attorneys in their law firm because they're trying not to get paid by just by the hour. That's the problem with those positions. No offense to anybody who's a doctor or lawyer or anybody else like that. It just makes it more challenging to be able to expand and, and grow. It, totally. Like I, you know, people ask me that. And, and so when I first got out of the service, I got out of the Navy in 1988. Um, I was married um, to my first wife um, who uh, was in college and I was paying her way through college and I had no income and the skills I learned in the Navy didn't really translate over. They translated made it maybe to the Boeing company. Um, I worked on radar systems and stuff like that in the military, but Boeing was on a freeze. They weren't hiring and I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go do something that'll make money. But we used to go to these, um, these things called the street of dreams in Seattle. And they were these really gorgeous mansion houses and you'd walk through them. And I would just like, 
I, I felt like I want uh, to be there someday. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I feel like Charlie and Willy Wonka, right? I'm walking around going, oh my gosh, look at what is this? And I asked one time, I said, so what does it take to afford these houses? And at the time, this is in the 80s, they were about $700,000. The mortgage at the time would have been about three or $4,000 a month or something like that. And, uh, and you're I like, remember, you're like, how does that even exist? <laughs> exactly. It's exactly my question. I was like, who makes that kind of money? Like, how, what do you have to do to make that kind of money? So, um, I used to go back to these neighborhoods after they were all sold out and I would drive through. And if I saw someone mowing their lawn, I would get out of the car and I would just walk up and talk to them. Cause I, I mean, I had no reference, no frame of reference at all. I mean, my, my I grew up in a trailer. Um, uh, my, I didn't go to college. I'm, I'm a self-educated guy. I read 50 books a year and, you know, but at the time I was just out of the Navy, I was 21. Um, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get there. All I knew is I wanted that, but I didn't know how to do it. So I talked to these guys and I'd ask them, so what do, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Often they were a doctor or an attorney. And I'm like, man, I don't have 10 years of school in me. And I don't think I'm smart enough. I just don't know. I'm not that smart. Um, oh, you're smart so... enough. Come on. <laughs> keep, going. keep going. Well, so, you know, the, the one, the other ones were either in sales um, or they were business owners. And I was like, well, I'm pretty good at that. And I could probably figure that out if I can get in the right place. And that really set my track. I was like, how do I get there? And who's getting there now? And how do I get around people who are getting there so I could someday get there myself? Um, I really feel like the the a lot of the challenge we have in our society is, is people don't have a, they don't see the well-worn paths towards any type of success. Like, I think this is a really a, prover, a, a problem with um, the, I don't I'm trying to figure out how to say this correctly, but the culture I grew up in, in a really poor and underprivileged echelon lower middle class or or lower class of our society just don't see any of that everything you know a, a regular middle class home seems seems like a dream that's just fascinating and amazing like when i bought my first house i couldn't believe that i had a house that was you know 2600 square feet and had you know five bedrooms and uh, my own little piece of land and i could afford that i just couldn't believe that that was possible scared the crap out of me that's how I was. And I was already in business. I was making money at the time, but I was hoarding cash because I was afraid of going back to what I was before. That whole commitment, the whole thing, it was just a, a mindset. Um, so what I what I really come to realize is that that's the common mindset for a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to get out of those circumstances and get into a new one. You know, it's you know? In, it, it is interesting because and I think sometimes we don't dream big enough. Uh, you know, we, we settle and, and I, I it's kind of pushed into us a friend of mine dale robinette this guy told me a story the other day he he, he does a speech and he has a slide of like a, a doll a dollhouse like out back but a, a, an elaborate one it's it's like 20 feet by 20 feet it's got you know the beautiful wood it's got a real roof and it's got you know boxes for flowers out front and everything and then he asked the group he said like hey what does it take to build this and they're like well you got to get an architect you got to get land you got to have the money to do it you got to build the roof you got to do all this stuff and then he goes hey what about this house what does it take to build this house and it's you know like a 30,000 square foot mansion and they go well you got to get the land you got to get the architect you got to build the roof you got it's the exact same thing he goes so which one do you want to build you know what you want to build the dollhouse you want to build the, the dream house and and it just kind of hit me like we we sometimes we're going to go through the process anyway 
might as well dream big and try to achieve you know great things and and that's by the way doesn't have to just be about money or homes it could be about building a nonprofit or or changing a community or providing for the homeless or you know feeding those around you that need you know helping those that, that need help it's just in every aspect of our life I just challenge all of us to kind of think bigger bigger impact bigger um, objectives and, and bigger goals well when when my and I, my kids, boy, they, they had the misfortune of having me as their father. So I think sometimes I was a little hard on them, but I used to tell them um, that you could judge the size of someone, the depth of someone's character by the size of the problem that stopped them from moving forward. Oh, that's interesting. What is, what is the problem that's stopping you from actually attaining your dreams? Yeah. What's, what's the problem? Yeah. And, and so I'm asking that to my listeners. What, what's the problem? I mean, is, is it, is it neglect to the goal? Is it not putting enough information or, or, you know, I guess effort toward it? Is it uh, excuses? Is it fear? Like what, what is it that's stopping you? You know, it's interesting because I could have like a whole discussion with you on philosophy. I I love some of the things that you talk about. Um, Matter of fact, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because it just kind of changed my whole mindset. But we were talking the other day and you said, do people listen to correct or do they listen to connect? And it really, I mean, especially with what's going on in America today, I really thought about that. Like, are you listening for merit or listening to connect? Are you listening to cor- correct all the time or listening to connect? And you said that. And, and, and so I guess that comes from your core values. So thank you, by the way, for that. I, I really appreciated that. Um, cause I've, I've related to a lot of people already. And by the way, thought about it myself. Like I'm, I'm putting the mirror right back here. You know, is that the way I'm looking uh, at people or listening to people? But how do, how do you make your core values align with your mission and, 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 and have that become your decision-making matrix, if you will? Well, first of all, thank you for, uh, for sharing that. I can't take credit for it. So I had a dear friend of mine and I was asking him about, um, I was asking him, I said, listen, my, the challenge I have as a leader is how do I get my ego out of the way? You know, how do I, when I hear something and I, and I disagree with it, or I don't think it's the right thing to do, how do I, how do I clear out my own ego? And, and Jamie Duraghi is his name. He's a wonderful man, uh, a great leader, also an EO. He looks at me and says, listen, are you listening to connect or are you listening to correct? And it hit me like a, bolt of lightning. I was like, holy crap. Yep. Well, well, there you go. Um, I think I might be listening to, to correct sometimes. So, you know, how do I, how do I hear the story and, and go on from there? But for, for me, values is a, is an important. So how often on a regular basis, and I'm asking your listeners this, but how often on a regular basis, are you asking yourself how you're doing? Then, and when I ask that is, how are you doing against something, uh, your intentions of how you want to be? And do you know what your intentions are of how you want to be? Because it's really interesting to me, most people, this is all of us, myself included, almost our entire lives, our brain is designed to create patterns and meaning, and then instantly see a pattern and make it mean something. Instantly see a pattern pattern, make it mean something. And there's just these heuristics that go into almost everything we do. Like you don't think about starting your car and putting the key in the ignition and turning it and having your foot on the brake. You don't think about those things because it's all a pattern recognition and heuristics. What we also do is we do that in our relationships. 
um, it occurred to me, I was on a walk with my wife, um, this is a couple of years ago, and I looked at her and I went, and, and it occurred to me that I don't know her, <laughs> but I think I do, right? I, you know, well, you have I, to explain I, that. What, what do you mean by that? Well, so what occurred to me is that when you, or when I'll, I'll put it, well, I'll personalize it. When I um, think I know somebody, my curiosity for getting to know them goes down. They almost become fixed in time based on what I know, not who they are or what they're actually thinking, right? So, and oftentimes those patterns are still true and, and they can, you know, we'll see the same thing happen and we know what they're gonna say. Yeah, I know when my wife is gonna, has got a, if she gets triggered on a particular subject, I can almost verbatim say what's gonna come out of her mouth in the next 30 seconds. Most of us have that. I mean, I think that's, you know, married 27 years, right? But am I actually listening because I want to know her? Am I listening because I want to learn more from her or learn who she is today or how she's grown? Because honestly, I'm not the same man I was a year ago. I'm not the same man I was when I met you four years ago or five years ago. I'm not the same man I was 20 years ago for sure. Um, and, and neither is my wife. So why am I fixing her in a time when I first felt like I knew her 20 years ago? How does it show up to be curious about everything today? You know, so tell me more about that, honey. What did that mean to you? Instead of assuming that that's what it meant. Tell me more about that, honey. What are you feeling? Instead of assuming that is. But I think that's true in all my relationships. That's true in my relationships with my children. They have changed massively in the 25 years that they've been alive, 20 and 24 years, really, that they've been alive. They're very different than they are. And it's been a pleasure to watch them grow. And we expect them to grow and change. And we naturally become curious about the next thing they learn. But how often do we do that with your adult friends? How often do you do that with your spouse? How, do you, how often do you do it with your folks? How often do you do it with your brothers and sisters and cousins and other people in your life? So I've really found that um, that that intention around curiosity helps. So the value of curiosity is a big deal. Um, I'm a relationship guy. So every company I have, our number one core value is build trusted relationships because that's who I am. That's what I want to do. And you know, you know, you know, what's great about that is I love, you know, that, that this like radically being radically curious, right? Being mm -hmm. just every opportunity I've ever had in life is because I asked a question, you know, where are you headed? What do you do? You know, what do you want out of life? Like, what's your what's your dream job? You know, some question. But I, I like what you just said about the relationships. And I mean, I, I think that will challenge me in my own life to be a little more curious with my spouse, with my friends, you know, adult friends. And, and because we do kind of paint people into a corner, into a box, right? And we kind of have this vision of them. And so that's, so maybe they're saying something and they mean something else, but we're expecting it because that's the way we expected it five years ago or 10 years ago. So yeah. I absolutely love this, by the way. And I think this is going to, I think I'm going to get a good response from a lot of listeners over this because I think we do that a lot in our lives. And I think you painted it in a perfect way uh, for us to kind of make a change there. Um, so that's awesome. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm glad that you talk about your core values and, and how important they are, because I think it's, and, and by the way, we should have that discussion probably more often, shouldn't we? Because we do change and, and those values change, don't they? Yeah, I think I think if they're um, so I, I actually don't know if I think the I think the values change because often when we're younger, the values aren't very deep. Right. You know, I think the values are around accumulation of stuff um, around other people's recognition of us. 
um, around, um, you know, external validation. Um, and as I've gotten older, what I've realized is the values that are really me, like who I am when I'm observing the person that I like in the mirror is someone who wants to always learn, someone who wants to be curious, someone who really values relationships, someone who sees somebody not as a finished product, but as a work in progress. Um, I think oftentimes the, the judgment in the world today is a big problem. The self-righteous judgment in the world today is a big problem in our society um, between political parties and racial strife, all of these things. And it's there's so much self-righteousness that it's very difficult to get past it and see the human being who's on the other side of that, who's experienced something and has a narrative of what that meant to them. So for me, seeing people um, as, a, uh, as a work in progress, I mean, Lord knows if I was, if we had social media when I was 18 years old, man, I don't know. I, I don't know. The permanent record is permanent today. I'm sure it, it would have caught you at soup kitchens all across the Northwest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Serving those 18, less fortunate. I, I didn't do anything. If, if soup <laughs> was beer. Um, yeah, and, nice. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, how the truth, how the truth really, really hurts. But, no, no. You know, it, it is funny because I look back. So and, and when I said that the principles change or your values change, that's exactly what I meant. It, it comes with wisdom. And so there was a statement that I made early on in my life that I was embarrassed about later on because I somebody had donated a million dollars anonymously to, to, a, to, to a school. And I remember making a, a statement to my friends where I said, if I ever donated a million dollars, they better have my name in neon lights on the side of that building. And I actually called those people years later and I apologized because at the time I couldn't even, first of all, fathom what a million dollars was or how you would donate a million dollars to give it away. But then the reason for giving, right? I mean, the whole reason for giving isn't to have it reflect back on you. It's to help others. It's to invest in others. It's to be, you know, to make good, hopefully, in society. And, and I will admit I'm a karma person. So I, I think you do good things. It's going to come back to you tenfold. And if it doesn't, who cares? Anyway, you did the right thing, right? But um, so, so it's, exactly. the wis- it's the wisdom of it all. And, and that's all, like, developing as a leader. And, and so I guess I'd like to ask you, like, what are you doing to ensure that you continue to grow and develop as a leader? Um. First, I think EO is a big part of that for me. Um, I get through EO, I get the opportunity to meet great men like you, um, uh, great women like uh, Sarah Blankley from Spanx. I mean, I get to meet people who, uh, Jill Sharinsky in my forum, uh, who who make me a better man because they have the courage to actually share their experience and how, and help me. Their best intention is to help me be a better man, better leader, better at everything, better husband. Um, I would say uh, creating a pack a, pra- a practice of reflection against intention has probably been the most valuable thing that I've added to my life in the last 10 years. So I journal every day, every morning I get up, I have a routine, I get up about five, between five and six. Um, I read, um, I read every morning, something to try and help me attack some problem, whether it's um, you know, a marketing problem, or it's uh, more um, impactful, like trying to understand the world or understand influence or understand leadership and what what's the essence of leadership. And how do I, how do I show up in the best possible way for those people who are counting on me to show up in the best possible way. Um, And I think that the, the intentional reflection on, on how I did yesterday, and how I intend to be today, 
and then asking that question every day creates a really short feedback loop. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of stoicism, but there's a, there's a, a thought and philosophy that actually is in all the major religions as well. Um, it's the idea of what's a ruler in your life and not a ruler as in um, the king. Um, the, it's a ruler as in what is the straight edge by which you're comparing yourself. And for me, those values, having your values be really clear, become that straight edge. So I am, am I integrity with my values? And am I asking that question each day? And when I'm out of integrity with those values or I'm in reaction mode or I'm my emotions have taken control a little bit and I'm not showing up in the best possible way, at least pausing to ask the question if that's what I want to do or not, right? Because intention, I mean, I, my goal is if I can be intentional for about, I don't know, 10 minutes a day, that's 10 minutes more than uh, most of the planet because most of the planet is just reacting to whatever's happening all the time. Um, so trying to be intentional, setting an intention, and then just monitoring myself against that intention makes a big difference. I've had great men in my life who've helped me with that. Um, Warren Rustand is a guy who who I, I can do no wrong in my eyes, um, and, uh, and yet he's one of the most humble men I've ever met. You're one of those people for me, Dan. Um, so I, I, I think of... Um, you know, the, they, and there's used to have the, what would Jesus do bracelets? You know, I, I have often, have, what would Dan do? What would Warren <laughs> do? You know, what would Michelle Cripolani do? He's a good friend of mine. He's my predecessor in the role. And, uh, and how he shows up is very different than how I show up. So what's working, what's not, how do I learn? Um, but it really comes down to always learning. I think, I think to be a good leader, you have to always learn and you always have to reflect on how you're doing um and and also demonstrate a little grace for yourself when you don't do as well as you'd like you know and, and but when you do got to go clean it up you have to clean it up you have to be responsible so first of all thank you for the kind words i appreciate that but warren is you're right about him i've had a chance to speak with him i mean you you know it's interesting you've had me speak a, a bunch of times for eo um and i've been able to speak for eo all around the world and you just meet these incredible people but i will say that it's sometimes it's it's staying after or showing up early and listening to some of the other speakers and then meeting some of the members and hearing their stories it is addicting to be around positive successful entrepreneurial problem solvers you just can't even get enough of it because i'm constantly learning so here you know here maybe i'm getting paid or i'm, I'm there to to, to 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 speak but the whole time i'm just soaking it all in and those those stories become my stories and that i can tell and, and life lessons that i can tell in my speeches and so I see why you would put EO up there um, as, as a big part of your educational life and, and, and how you move forward. I will say this. Is there a way that you recharge? Like, cause I, I mean, come on, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of pressures for, for entrepreneurs. I always say we sleep like babies. We sleep two hours, wake up crying, sleep two hours, wake up crying. Right. Because there's just, <laughs> there's just so much, you know, and, and by the way, it's not just pressure, but you gotta be, you gotta make a decision and you gotta be right most of the time. And, and, People depend on you to be right, and so I feel, I, you know, I feel internally that pressure to, to do that. But how do you how do you recharge? Do you have like any specific way that you do that, or um, just tell me? So I think um, so. For me, sleep is important. I have to if if I lose sleep, I I know I'm not going to show up in my best possible way. I think that's become more important over time as my sleep has become more sensitive. Um, but I, I I think the way I recharge. I recharge with great conversations in small groups. I'm not a I'm not a, a wide puddle 
guy. I'm a deep pool guy. I want to, I want to sit with friends and explore philosophy and religion and, and all the taboo subjects. Those are the best ones, right? You know, I don't want to talk about the weather or football. I mean, you know, yeah, football, go Seahawks, right? Uh, but after that, what, you know, let, let's, let's dive into something that's more meaningful or important. Um, well, these days the, you're, uh, there's danger there. Remember there's danger there these days. I mean, you really do have to be careful and it's so sad we're in that position because I mean, I think, you know, and again, one of the things that I appreciate about groups like EO where, you know, to me, I want diversity of thought. I, yeah. I, I seek it. I, I, I don't want to hear the same thing over and over. I don't want to watch, watch the news channel that tells me everything that I want to hear. I want to hear what every side is thinking because only in that moment from a business perspective or life perspective can maybe I have enough information to make a good decision. I mean, do you, would you agree with that? Or I, I absolutely do. I, um, I, I despise an echo chamber. Um, in fact, all of my growth in anything I've ever done has come from not being comfortable, has come from not being around people who are just like me. Um, you know, EO has this thing called Forum where we meet every month and inside a forum, you're put together with eight to 10 other entrepreneurs. And in that forum, you have a massive diversity of, of, of political perspectives, business types, personalities, and it's such a blessing it's such a blessing to be able to have a trusted window into another worldview and be able to hear that without judgment and have somebody share their experience without judgment. Um, that it's, it's very difficult. In fact, I'm a member of Rotary. I've been in Rotary for 13 years and we do these classification talks and I'm so used to just laying it out on the line. Right. So I get up, I'm doing my class classification talks and they're like, well, who is Chuck Bender? And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a dangerous question. Right. So, and, and I mean, I go right to the, right to the meat and potatoes. It's not, you know, just sizzle reels. And, uh, and the whole room was like, well, that was an overshare. <laughs> so, too much Sorry. information. I mean, that's who I am, right? Um, but I think that there's a. I, I think. I think diversity is a massive benefit um, in my life. Having having people from all different backgrounds, all different economic situations, all different races. Um, I, I just I just see them as a blessing. Um, I think that it's often gets confused with. Um, I think the judgment that happens is happening because of people entrenching into tribes. Uh, in fact, the best book I've read in the last three or four years, um, and if anybody wants to really kind of understand what's happening in the world today, uh, it's The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Um, the most fascinating um, story, and, and really in the book, he's exploring moral foundations theory. Um, he's, a, he's a psychologist and sociologist PhD and he's and he's kind of understanding human nature and it and what it did for me is it really clarified what value system I'm up against um, or I am communicating to that somebody's exhibiting by how they how they're showing up in any particular case what are they defending right what value are they defending most of us are actually trying to make the world a better place, right? So most of even even people who see the world very different than me, they want what's best for humans. They have maybe a different prescription than I do, or a different set of values that they're that that's um, expressing. But it's a value that I also share. 
So it's not like I lack the value. It's so that creating that common ground really made a big difference for me. Um, there's a there's a gentleman named Malik Muhammad who has been super helpful through the whole BLM uh, the last year and all the social strife. And he works with inner city youth in the East Coast and trying to help them like break out um, and, and give them some mentorship and a different narrative and a way to use their narrative to help them succeed in life. And uh, I absolutely love the man. Um, but what he says, and this is re really, really connected with my values, is that it's impossible to um, to change or influence a community or, or a, a group of people that you're not in community with, right? So what are, how do we stay in community? How do we stay connected? Because if you and I are connected and disagree, we can still have a conversation. I can share a, a viewpoint and you can share a viewpoint and we can both walk away feeling like we learned something. But if, if we have a wall between us and we're not in community, we're just lobbying mortars over the wall at each other. We're never gonna resolve anything. We're never gonna find commonality. We're never gonna find common ground. So being in community has to be the number one thing that we serve and within that community, now we can actually influence. Now we have the opportunity to share a, a viewpoint or maybe break down a stereotype. You know, what is the stereotype of this belief and what is the stereotype of that belief and how do we address it and how do we recognize that it's just this value that's being expressed in a different way? Well, you, you know, know it's, it's, it's interesting because when, you know, I debated in college and one thing that, that really taught me early on in my life is that there's not two sides to every story. There's 22,000 plus because it's all based on our perspective. So you're, like you're talking about, you know, your, your, your perspective is based on your parents or your upbringing or your environment or your community or your friends or, you know, all those things influence you. And we're all so different. So I do love that you talked about like taking down those walls, quit, you know, throwing the mortars over the fence and, and actually sit down and talk and discuss. That's why I admire, I've, I've, I hopefully have never really lost a friend over politics. I love different viewpoints and I'd actually prefer that you view, you know, believe passionately, whatever that is, that's what's great about this country. But then let's actually then be willing to sit down and have a debate because I agree with you, Chuck, about one thing you made very clear. We probably all want the same things. Nobody wants you know, disasters. Nobody wants, uh, you know, kids getting hurt or, you know, people being uh, disrespected. No one should have to go through that ever, regardless yeah. of who you are. So then let's work on ways to get there together to make sure that never, yeah. never happens and make sure our kids are taught that, that that's unacceptable behavior and that, you know, working together is the key solution. So I, I love all this. And, and, you know, I mean, come on, we could have like a full hour, two hours, because we've done <laughs> oh, it before. Yeah. We've, you know, we sat down and started those discussions and I, I love them. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that I would ask you and, and somebody like in your position as you kind of become like this regional chair and you're leading other leaders and you're building businesses, like what is, you know, what is the most important thing for you to accomplish in your lifetime? Like what, what would you say is, is the most important goal for you? So um, I'll share a story with you. And this has probably been my driving um, focus up until maybe 10 years ago and it's been expanded since so i want you to i want you to imagine i want your audience to imagine um you know it's first day of school middle school um you know it's pe you're out in the field and you're playing i was out playing and and we played flag football and you know we're we're uh 
playing hard. And it was my first day in a new school from an, I just moved into the area. So I didn't know anybody. So I really wanted to make a good impression. I just wanted to try and make friends. Um, you know, I think it was 13. And uh, I uh, scored, got a touchdown. I was all excited, you know, and we, we walked back into the locker room and you can see the bricks of the, of the gym and the big heavy door, you know, it's crashing as you're walking in and your feet are on that cold concrete and the gym floor and the locker rooms and everybody. And it's the first day of school and, and we're, we're going into school and, and we're changing clothes and, you know, first day of school, you have your new school clothes and all that. And um, I, I have this polo and and I'm putting the shirt on and I'm really proud because it might have been the best shirt I've ever owned. And another kid who was a little bit older comes over and flicks the tag over and his initials are on that shirt um, because we were poor. It was purchased at Goodwill. It left me feeling embarrassed, ashamed, um, it left me feeling um, not as good as and it put me in a box in a shell for a very long time because all of a sudden nobody came to my res rescue i was the only i was a new kid and all the other kids were teasing me it became something they teased me about in middle school like everybody's trying to find their identity and i made a decision at that point that i was never ever ever going to have my family or my kids ever experience that kind of shame so for me, much of my life as an adult has been avoiding that. It's been running from that. It's been trying to um, end generational poverty in at least my family and the part that I could impact and can, can control. Um, what I've come to realize and how that's expanded is that there are a lot of kids in the world who have that same feeling every day today. So I think my purpose is how do I reach out and, and try to in generational poverty, I think entrepreneurship is the way to do it for a lot of these kids um, because they could, they're hustlers, man. These kids work their butt off. They just don't have anybody who's telling them where to go or what's the right way to do it or how to approach the world. So for me, my purpose is to build leaders, build entrepreneurs, and hopefully put a dent in generational poverty in the, in the world and, uh, and hopefully spare some kids from going through that same kind of experience. Well, so first of all, thank you for sharing that story. That's not easy, I'm sure, and I could tell it's not. And and yet, you know, I guarantee us each one of us has a similar story where we've been humiliated or something, you know, we're embarrassed mm -hmm. or something. And, and I think it's what you do with it, right? So do you let those moments define and defeat you or empower and strengthen you? And clearly you let that empower and strengthen you and you decided then and there that that wasn't going to happen again. And I, I love that. And, you know, I, I can say this because I've gotten to know you, I mean, you're resilient. You're a fighter. You're, you know, you're going to overcome those those odds. And, and that's what real leaders do. And so I think it is neat that EO has you on uh, in the West and in its whole organization globally to be that kind of uh, impactful leader that teaches and, and helps others. So what, what do you what do you talk about when you talk about habits? Well, I mean, I think we are a series of habits. That's what we are. Right. Um, all of uh, almost all of everything we do is just a habit. You know, if we're not consciously thinking about it, it's just a habit. Um, and habits are this opportunity to program excellence into your life once you recognize them. So the, and the center habit is the, or the central habit for me, or the kind of baseline habit for starting all the other habits was that um, journaling practice in the morning, you know, because there I'm setting an intention of actually starting a different habit. And what like do you journal? What do you journal? Cause I mean, like, what do you talk about? What do you think about? Um, I talk about 
you know, often it's my inner critic, right? It's, you know, gosh, yesterday, you know, my older son and I, we were having a conversation and we got into it again and I didn't leave feeling good and neither did he. How did I do, what, what was my part of that? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I change it? What do I want my relationship to look like? You know, so again, it kind of, it, it, it moves around a little bit based on whatever I'm, whatever I'm trying to work through. Um, but the main thing is, is the, it's, what does a successful day today look like? So how do I define the, the success metric? So when I put my head on the pillow today, I'm good. Um, it's exploring why I might be stressed about something. You know, I've really come to realize that uh, stress is this gift of caring. So stress isn't bad, just means I give a shit, you know? So I give a shit about an outcome. That's why I'm stressing. I want an outcome to be a certain thing. So then the next level of that is, okay, if I want a certain thing, have I done everything I can for that outcome that I actually can control? And how do I just let go because I've done everything? Now I haven't done everything, let's make a list and go to work at it. But if I've done everything, um, the chips are gonna fall where the chips fall. And I just need to be emotionally prepared and well, well rested to deal with whatever the outcome of that happens to be in that particular moment. Margaret is a dear friend. It's EO staff. You've met Margaret. Yes, I have. Um, she she just des- she describes it as a future Margaret problem, right? You know, I've done what I can do today. I don't have time to deal with it today, so I'm gonna let future Margaret deal with it. <laughs> and uh, and I just love that line because it makes it it's so clear, right? Do we trust ourselves well enough that when that problem arises, we are gonna address it the best we possibly can then? So we don't have to borrow trouble from the future and can focus on just being present with what I need to be present with right now, you know, and, and so much of stress is just borrowing problems. It's just borrowing trouble. What advice do you give to people who have problems, like things that get in their way uh, and, and they know it exists, they know it's there, but they just, they, you know, they just, they want it to be perfect or they want it to be a certain way and they just can't stop doing that. What advice would you give them? Um, well, first of all, I would, uh, I would say only set expectations around what you can control, <laughs> not what you can't. Um, so if you can't control the outcome, set, having an expectation about it being a certain way is just, it's just a recipe for disaster. You know, um, I think that, uh, um, the, you know, the example that the example that I give is like a people pleaser, right? So so let's say they're at work and they're supposed to deliver bad news to somebody and they don't quite give it because they don't they just can't in their hard hearts do it. And next thing you know, it makes the problem worse because now the person thinks it's a different way than it is. And you know that's and they that's, know that they're a people pleaser and this is a problem for yes, them. Yes, yes, they know that, that 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 it's a problem. So sometimes it's naming it, naming it why, right? Um, why am I this way? What is it about me that requires people to be pleased? Mm -hmm. What is it? Like, what is it about it? What am I afraid of losing? What am I fearing giving up? You know, am I afraid that I can't control someone else's perception of me? Am I afraid? I mean, so uh, for me, it's just unpacking it. Like, let's ask all the dirty, gritty questions. Where is my ego involved in this question? You know, and does it matter? Um, because often, like, you know, I, I, I would tell people pleasers, I'm like, listen, you know, we all want everybody to like us. We all want approval. I think that's somewhat normal. I think you're abnormal if you don't want approval. Right? And I promise I'm asking for a friend, just so you know. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> exactly. Um, and I think with that approval comes this um, this belief that we're going to sacrifice our integrity for approval. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to sacrifice truth for approval? Are we willing to um, like what what character value are we are we afraid to sacrifice to be honest? You know, you don't have to be mean to tell someone bad news. You just, you just have to tell them the bad news, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because it goes the other way, too. I mean, there's just I've, I've just met so many what I call characters in, in my life. You know what I mean? That and, and, you know, some are just they have no emotional intelligence. They just blurt out whatever they want and they think they're above everything and that people should deal with the, the, the mess that they leave behind them, the trail of, of you know, arguments bodies. And, and bodies <laughs> and death and destruction they leave behind them. Um, so, it, you know, it's not just people pleasing. It's 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 not having emotional intelligence. It's it's maybe being what they called, you know, I'm too honest. I, you know, it's my fault. I'm too honest. But then uh, yeah, just... that's my, that's my, yeah, that's my cop out for not being that nice. Yes, exactly. Right? right. You know, so, but, um, but I, I just think there's, you know, I guess what I would like to get to is just try to help people walk through that process. And I think you just did. So I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. I, I think one of the, one of the issues, if I were coaching someone and I have coached people on this, like, especially when they're having to let somebody go. Right. Um, uh, I, I, I'm one of those people in business where there should be no surprises. And if there's a surprise, it's a failure of leadership. You know, that means that I did not, I did not hold on to my responsibility of actually letting someone know how they were doing, letting them know what they needed to do to correct their circumstance or their situation to get back in good graces um, and giving them a timeline with which to do it. You know, and then some type of measurable coaching rhythm or something along those lines to just really help them see where they're where they're going. If I haven't done all of those things, it is my fault. It's not their fault. You know, the I had somebody tell me one time that there's no such thing as a bad employee. There's only bad leaders. Well, I had Ron Bailey, who's my you know my business mentor. I talk about him all the time. Built Strayer University. One time, uh, he came into Strayer. He said hello to me because I, I own the vending business and we were in their vending room filling machines. I had a bunch of workers in there and everything and we talked. And he was only there like 15, 20 minutes. I found out he fired two people while he was there and he walked back out. So the next time I saw him, I was like, how does that happen? Like, how do you do that? Because it just tears me apart. Like my, my soul, it hurts my soul. Because, And he said, oh, Dan, I'm happy to hear that because it tells me you do have a soul and you care, you should. And he goes, because it's your fault anyway. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, let's see. You either hired wrong or you don't have enough business to keep them. Which one? Both your fault. And then he yeah. goes, have a great day. And he walked away. But he, he said something similar to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing for, for a second. But he said, um, by the time it gets to that point, Dan, it's a relief for everyone. It really is. Because they know they're not performing. Or they know they're not happy there. Or they don't even want to be there. And you know they're not happy there and they're not performing. And so even though the initial emotion of it all is there, it's a relief for everybody. And that did help me in, in the rest of my career kind of deal with that. Because, look, I, you know, nobody wants to let somebody else down or hurt somebody or but but in the end sometimes it's just not a fit and and they don't want to be there you don't want them there or they you know they know they're not performing you know they're not performing and you have to make a change but anyway so you're exactly right it's it is expectations and managing timelines and everything else well there's there's no um there the industry is rife with really bad managers right because we 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 do a pretty good job leaders at our level do generally don't get here without doing the work and I'm not talking about the work in the business, it's the work on who we are. 
that we can develop the influence where somebody trusts us to either give us money, work with us, work for us, do whatever. There's a trust that's exchanged in that in that part. But oftentimes your mid-level manager is just starting on that journey and they don't have an effective mentor or coach or somebody who's trying to help develop their leadership skills. So they're just winging it. They're making it up and they're making it up based on what they saw in the office or something. Who knows, right? They just don't know. Um, they know how they have they've been treated and don't want to feel be treated treat people that way or sometimes they just model it because they think that's the only way you can be successful um, so I, I think um, really good leaders need to be an example and it's much like Christianity right and in the Christian faith that the biggest problem with Christianity are Christians sometimes <laughs> um, it's not because it's because they're out there preaching but they're not just leading by example like here's what an example is of having a good life and being calm and being able to trust and have faith in the future and these sorts of things. Um, it's sitting back trying to judge other people for not having judge it's calm and all this other, it's a very different thing. <laughs> well, it's right? so, so easy to, to, you know, be the heckler from the corner and yelling out than it is to actually do it. it you know, that's why I, when I talk, it's so funny in my speeches, I'm like, Hey, where do you think the mirror is the whole time I'm talking? It's right here, my friends. I mean, same, I'm asking same. myself, you know, am I even doing these things that I'm talking about? And, but it's a challenge to me to make sure that I am. And am I perfect? No, I'm not, but I know everybody else isn't either. So now we're all in the same ball game, just trying to be the best version of ourselves. That's the intention part, right? If yeah, you if absolutely. you never are measuring against your own ideal, you're never improving and you're not self-correcting. You know, there's two poems that well, the man in the arena poem is one of my absolute favorite ones from Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and uh, and I, I absolutely love that one because it speaks exactly to what you said. Um, and then there's a quote by um, Roy Williams. And it's a, and this is kind of the way I, open up any talk I have with EO leaders when I'm doing a training, uh, anything in EO. And it's, it goes like this. Um, a smart man will make a mistake, will learn from it, and never make that mistake again. The wise man seeks out the smart man, learns from their mistakes, and avoids them altogether. Wow. Are you the smart man? Or are you the wise man? And what's the difference? Because we're all a little bit of both. Right. But if I can surround myself with smart people, it helps me to be a little more wise because my most of my life I've just been smart. Yeah, no, absolutely. So first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. So thank you. I will give you credit for uh, telling me that quote. But I do like it because it is true. I mean, I, I put a lot of faith in my kitchen cabinet, the people that I trust that are, that are, by the way, are smarter than me, more successful than me. They don't need anything from me except just friendship and just trying to build each other up. And that's what I love about our relationship is that, and you know, it's similar to our discussions when we, when we talk personally. I mean, you know, you don't need anything from me. I don't really need anything from you except just wisdom and knowledge bring it to me because you do hear all these stories you are all are, you are around all these amazing people and mm -hmm. uh and like i said earlier it's addicting to, to be that in those positions and learn from those types of individuals yeah i i i, I can't imagine um I, I every day i wake up and i'm in awe of the the people who were in my network and had a finger and who would drop everything to take my call like, you know, in my childhood, I just couldn't imagine why would Dan Quiggle ever talk to Chuck? Oh, all right. Stop I mean, that. Stop that. Right but it's now. true. I mean, it's true. That's I mean, we, the I, imposter syndrome was something that I fought with for years and years and years. I think I'm just now coming to terms with it. And I think the more I've internalized my values as an intention, the less imposter syndrome I ever feel. 
Like I, I, I would, uh, like I could articulate them and I would act out all the right things, but I was playing a role. You know, we all play roles, right? We all, we're all an actor in the grand game of life, the grand drama of life. And we play different roles, fathers, business owners, employees, race car driver on the freeway. You know, if you live someplace where you can drive fast on a freeway, <laughs> um, we, <laughs> we do, but we all have these roles, friend, parent, you know, whatever. And we play these roles based on what we think the role requires. Um, but very rarely have we sat back and, and how are we integrated in all of our roles? And that's where values come into play. Like the more I've integrated my values, it shows up in how I parent, you know, it shows up in um, mostly I try and in, in how I'm a husband, um, you know, and, and nobody can trigger me like my wife can trigger me. It's just, it just, there's nobody. My kids and my wife are the two people who seem to cut through all the bullshit and get Chuck reacted a little bit. And I have to stop, right? I have to like pause and say, okay, honey, you're right. You know, I should have put that away. You're right. I'm not playing fair. You're right. You know, but it takes, it takes, that's the, the, the people I love the most and whose opinion of me matters the most. So when they're critical, it just, tears me apart right because i don't want I, I want to be adored right i think we all want to be adored um so the the but that's an ego that's a function of ego so how do i separate that and say okay what are my values and how am i showing up as somebody who cares about this relationship how am i showing up as somebody who who wants to learn and, and listen and and be an active listener and and hopefully make her feel heard right uh, it's taking the eye off ourselves and putting it onto another human being. I, I have a, I have a friend and I don't know how much time you have, but this is like one of my favorite stories because he changed my life. So I talked about being in a box um, in that story about the label on the back of my shirt. Right. Um, so at 22 years old, I'm divorced now from my first marriage. Got, <laughs> got married at 20, 19, got married, divorced at 22. So, uh, you know, as a, trial marriage, Navy guy, whatever. No kids. Thank goodness. No judging but, here. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So we're, um, we're going to these nightclubs and, and Adriel is like five, six black guy, funniest person you ever meet. Um, but we'd walk into a room and I'd walk in in an Armani suit and he would walk in, you know, dressed in, you know, slacks and a polo or something. And every girl in the bar would just flock to him. He was like, he was like, honey for every bee and every bear i mean they're <laughs> the guys the girls everybody just loved this man they love that they still do and everywhere we went i was invisible i literally standing next to him you know we'd walk in together and i was invisible right and i was like what the hell is going on here um and uh and at the end of the night when the clubs closed he would go we'd go back to his house and we'd play backgammon and we'd be playing backgammon and and you know talking about life or what we were going through or trying to figure out. And Adriel's a little older. He's like 10 years older than I am. And I asked him, I said, Adriel, I don't understand what is going on. He says, well, Chuck, you, I mean, I know you really well, but most people don't. So the way you stand there, you act, you, you put off an era or an aura that you're better than people and that you don't really like them. I was like, what? Wow. He goes, yeah, that's, that's what you're putting out. And, and I recognized at that moment, it was the defense mechanism from the label it was a defense mechanism from not being belonging 
right? It was get a lay of the land and be really slow to be authentic and open up because it was risky and scary and all of that. And uh, so he, he had the courage to tell me that. He's like, and the way he said it is like, you're kind of an asshole. And I'm like, what? I'm not an asshole. He goes, oh, I know you're not an asshole, but here's this thing. So I went out that next day and I bought How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I A-B tested that entire book. Like every, every paragraph, I was like, okay, let's try it this way. Smile. Hey, how you doing? And I just really observed Adriel to watch what he did. And here's what he did. And this is what's changed my life more than anything. Every time he sees somebody, they're the only person in the room for 20 seconds or 30 seconds. And it doesn't matter whether you saw him yesterday, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or five minutes ago, you feel like the best version of you that you can be just because the way he greets you and the way he makes you feel when you say hello, when he says hi, like he genuinely seems excited, not just, Hey, yo, Whoa, what's up? He's excited to see me every time I see him. And I can't get enough of somebody who's excited to see me every time they see me. I just started copying. Like I'm not a very good student. I could copy the hell out of somebody though. I even in the Navy created a whole <laughs> system to copy, right? You know, <laughs> um, and, and that one skill has kicked open nearly every relationship I've ever had. That skill and just learning to, learning to say these words, I don't know. I don't have to have an opinion. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know the answer. Tell me more. You know. What do you mean, Chuck? You don't have all the answers? I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, supposed I mean, to have all the answers. Yeah. It's as simple as that. No, but uh, that's just great. I mean, that's great advice. I, I do think, you know, it's funny because, you know, I travel a lot. I get to meet great CEOs and leaders. And, and it's funny because this happens inevitably. Um, they'll we'll go out to lunch after and they'll say dan great love you know love the presentation uh seems like things are really going well for you where's the chink in the armor like where's all the bad stuff like the, uh, give me the nitty-gritty there's got to be like horrible stuff out there and i'm just fascinated with that the human desire to like hear the bad stuff and and so i'll say hey if you want to hear it you know i've lost both my parents in the last five five seven years um i was really close to them uh you know one of my top sales guys left and and you know i really liked the guy a lot you know what I mean? I miss him. And, and you know, he went start, start his own thing, even compete against me. It kind of like a knife getting stabbed in the heart, you know, cause oh, you like yeah. love the guy. You just love him, you know? You're, and, um, and I said, so I could focus on all those things, but I can't control them. I said, yeah. so I'm not going to let him ruin my day every day. So things are still going really good in my life. And I'm still really happy with where I am and where I'm headed. And so, you know, it's, I, I posted something the other day. So that, that which you dwell upon, you become, and so I'm like, what are you thinking? Yeah, what are you thinking about? I mean, are you still focused on the guy that cut you off in the parking lot or on the highway or he's somebody you disrespecting you what you should have said? Or are you focused on your goals moving forward, who you're surrounding yourself with, the the you know, the the advice that you're being given? I mean, because it matters who has your ear and where that information's coming from. And that's why I mean I love talking to you because I I could just so many quotes, so many just uh, you know, insights that I've taken from you, Chuck, and and have used in my personal life and my business life, and I just I can't tell you how much I value that. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad I can offer and add some value. I, uh, you know, I, pretty much everything for me is just authentic. I've learned it the hard way. Um, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and, and, and I still make them every day. Um, I think the, I think what's interesting, what's really come to me is our lives are really just the story we tell of our lives. Right. And we all are making stories up. 
So you might as well make a story that you want to live in instead <laughs> of the story you don't want to live in, right? But we all, I mean, everything is a story. And that it's not a fact, you know, the facts are you got in the car and you drove down the freeway and somebody drove in front of you and they got a little close. That's the fact. The story of that is, is that asshole cut me off and they were trying to, they were reckless. And here's, that's all the story. That's a narrative that we've created to make ourselves feel self-righteous and justify our anger. Right. doesn't have to be that. It could be that guy cut us off because he's got a sick child and he's trying to get to the hospital as fast as possible. That changes the whole story. I'm like, here, look, get out of the way. Go ahead. You know, get your kid to the hospital. I, I'm a human being. I can get that. So we don't need to, we don't know all those facts, but we can choose a story that serves us or we can choose a story that doesn't serve us. I don't like being angry. I don't, I don't get any joy from being upset. Um, I don't get any joy. Um, you know, the whole self-righteous thing right now is such a big part of our society that it, it, it saddens me that people jump to self-righteous indignation and the taste of self-righteousness is so juicy. It's so <laughs> sweet because I can, I don't have to be respectful anymore because I'm, I'm right. I don't have to be decent anymore because I'm right because you're evil. I am right, right? That self-righteous thing is not a bridge to anything healthy. Um, so why do I do it? And why would I want to do it in my own life? And then why would I want to do it to myself? Because often that's where people struggle is they spend so much time just criticizing themselves and tearing themselves down and ripping themselves apart. I mean, acknowledge if you acted out of accordance with your values, forgive yourself and just get back on track and leave it because it's over. You've already done it. You know, you can't, you can't go back. You can't go backwards and fix it. There's no fixing it. It's just like, accept it and try to be better tomorrow. And it doesn't matter what you're trying to be a little bit better at, but if you're doing it every day, you'll build confidence that you can be better. You know, you it's know? interesting. You said that the, the driving example. So I was younger and I will admit maybe a little bit full of myself. And, you know, so if somebody cut me off and, you know, I, I would get after them or, you know, I'd be upset and they'd tell me I'm number one with that special thing, you know, so one day, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, one day I'm on George Washington Parkway in Washington, DC. And this guy cuts me off and flips me off. And I, I mean, I remember I hunted that guy down, like we were back and forth in the car and going back and forth. And finally, you know, miles and miles up the road, he, he went one way and I went the other way. And, you know, my, my adrenaline was going, my heart was racing. And I got home that night and we, you know, we had just had our first baby, Justin had been born. And I turn on the news, and here's a story about uh, a similar road rage accident or incident that had just happened that afternoon in Washington, D.C. And one of the individuals took out a gun and shot in the back of the car, and the baby wasn't in the back, but they had a car seat, and the bullet went right through the car seat. Wow. And, and you know, I sat, I was alone at home. I'll never forget watching that. And I sat back in the, in the chair, and I said, am I so weak that I'm going to risk my family, that I'm going to risk my life for somebody who has had a horrible day for, you know, somebody who's just, that's their problem, not mine. And, and that's, and, and I said, it's over from that day on. And literally to, to this day, you can cut me off. You can flip me off. I'm heading down the road. I'm going in my direction. I'm not going to let anybody get in my way and, and, yeah. you know, ruin it. it. It is interesting how, you know, perspective really uh, helps. And, um, and it changed, it changed my life from that day forward. Yeah. I mean, perceptions are perception and narratives and controlling those perceptions and narratives really begin with recognizing that you have you're having a narrative 
you know, and, and I can always tell somebody who's done the work because they never say this is that they say, I'm feeling like this is that, or I've, you know, they've, they've added a little bit of definition to, to create a space that it may not be what they're perceiving. Right. It may not be the judgment that they want to toss. It may not be. And that gives you an opportunity to, to walk through that, that corridor with your head held up high um, and not worry about it. The, a lot of society likes they, they just relish outsourcing their their emotional state to the news to whatever outrage of the day is i mean they just they relish it they don't want to be responsible for their own emotional state so they just give it over they give it over to anybody who can trigger them for anything for any reason and and i'm like man that's a hell of a way to live well it that's also gi- it also gives them all the power i mean when you let somebody affect your emotions you give them all the power to, exactly. to, to, to sit and hold hostage your your men, you know your mental state and 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 be able to delegate and you know direct which direction it's going to go that's just that doesn't seem like a good way to live for me there's a great video i, I don't know if you've ever saw it if you ever saw it but it was on on youtube and it was a guy going through New York. He's in the back seat of a taxi, and there's this Jamaican guy up front. And he's driving, and this guy, he, you know, something must have happened with the car and with another car. And this guy's like, you know, going back and forth with his driver. And eventually, the guy, you know, this small New Yorker, like cuts him off, gets out of the car, runs back, and the, the Jamaican guy gets out of the car. And he's, you know, he's a big guy. It's not, and he could probably crush this other guy. And and the guy's screaming at him, and the Jamaican guy. And it's going to be a horrible Jamaican accent that I'm going to use. I'm warning everyone <laughs> in advance. But he's like, hey, man, it's okay. Sorry, man. Don't worry about it, man. My fault. Don't worry. Just head down. You know. And the guy gets back in the car, and, and he said, how the heck did you just put up with that? He asked the Jamaican guy. And the Jamaican guy said, hey, all day long we take on trash, 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 trash. Eventually we get full, and we got to dump it. He said that guy was just dumping his trash. He goes, guess what, man? It's not my trash. Yeah. And I love, I love that. It. I love that because it's so true. Like that, that was that guy's problem. This guy was just doing his job, heading down the road. And I think if more of us understood that, that, you know, we, we can only be responsible for our own actions. And it goes back to your point where first question when something goes wrong is, did I even have control over this? Because if I didn't, yeah. it changes everything. But if I did, how do I make sure it never happens again? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've, I've been in enough situation in bars where I can diffuse a whole situation by just buying a guy a drink. You know, like, hey, man, you know what? That's didn't work out. Sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't, my buddy didn't know that was your girlfriend. I mean, you know, can I just buy you a drink and make this go away? Because I would much rather just buy you a drink and let you go. And, and you made your point and he's going to leave you alone, then have it go any further. Because if it goes any further, it's just going to be bad for everybody. Right. It's going to be bad. Right. So what do you hey, some some and, and that's that's your olive branch, right? <laughs> There's yeah, your olive branch. Exactly. It doesn't show weakness. Uh, it shows uh, the, the, the the desire to connect, the desire to, you know, to make it go away, to not turn to violence, to not turn to name calling, to not turn, you know, all these other things. So no, well, hey, so few people have the of the they don't know how to articulate what they're feeling. You know, so it gets the it and that frustration builds because they don't know how to articulate it. And that frustration turns up as anger, but usually underneath all that, it's um, feeling disrespected or feeling hurt or feeling re- you know rejected or feeling, there's a lot of feelings, right? So, you know, and I find that with my employees when they're really upset about something, if I can name the underlying feeling, if I can just name it. I mean, are you upset because you feel like someone let you down? You know, are you upset because you're, feeling like you're uh, a failure here 
Is that what's going on? Are you upset because you're worried that you're going to be judged unfairly? Is that what's going on? Right? Because if I can get to the root issue, now we're having a conversation. Now we're talking and we're not just dealing with the results of frustration. We're dealing with what's really causing that frustration or what's the core issue that they're dealing with. And I find that's true and, and with my kids. I find that's true with my wife. I find that's true with employees. I find that true with my friends. Whenever someone's getting supercharged, it's usually what they're expressing is not the cause. What they're expressing is because there's something underlying that's that that's triggered them in a way because they based on a narrative like what is the story that you're telling that's making you so upset here you know tell me more about that help me understand you know um and and <laughs> my wife kind of gets frustrated with me because she she will say stuff like uh, you know must be nice that you're gonna go travel with all your eo buddies and, and while i'm home with the kids right and I used to be upset with that. I'm like, listen, that's what EO is. This is my place to recharge. And I'd get defensive. And then I started asking the question, I says, are you upset because you're going to miss me? Are you going to miss me? Is that really it? And then she's like, no, I'm not going to miss you. I'm like, yeah. okay, are you jealous? Are you wanting to go do something with your girlfriends? Can I help enable that to happen? So I started asking those questions. And then she's just like, don't make me not be mad. Damn it. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be upset because you're just going someplace, not because of anything else. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I posted something today. I don't know if you saw it, but it said, sometimes you win by losing. And, and I yeah. thought it was funny because I got a comment from somebody said, Hey, are you okay? Like, is everything all right? You know what I mean? So I had, to, I had to like rephrase it and say, Hey, I want to preface it by saying I'm good. This is just something <laughs> that I joke about in relationships because a lot of times like we'll be playing tennis or, you know, with the family or, you know, spouse or, and, or we'll be playing beach volleyball and, and I'll always joke around like, Hey, regardless what happens to here today, sometimes you win by losing in other words. And, but it's also in, in business, you know, you sometimes things happen for a reason. The deal doesn't go through, you know, maybe you were making bad decisions because you fell in love with it too much and you just pushed it through even when the numbers didn't work out or something wasn't happening. Yeah. So I do think, and that goes back to your whole point from the very beginning, Chuck, when you said, you know, what is an entrepreneur? It's somebody that can endure failure and and find the good in it and keep coming back for more and learning from it and building from it and building and building. And all of a sudden you have success. You only fail when you stop in failure. You only fail when you stop pursuing your dreams in the failure. Up, up to that point, you're just pursuing, right? And as long as you move forward, you're not a failure. You just are, you just learned something else that didn't work right. You learn something new that isn't going to hit what you wanted to hit. So I, that, that whole, um, being, being a failure, I am a failure. It's that I am statement instead of, you know, that failed. <laughs> it's not you, you didn't fail. That idea didn't work out that well, you know, <laughs> and what did I learn about that idea that I need to change? So how do we separate ourselves? I, I coach on entrepreneurs a lot that their whole, their emotional state is tied to the success of the business completely their identity their emotional well-being everything rises and falls on sales and profitability numbers i mean and that's a miserable roller coaster to ride and i'm like what is it what how is it possible that you're how, what does it look like if you're a separate entity from your business and you're trying to iterate in your business to find the exact right alchemy to create the the outcomes that you're looking for but you have to do a, lots of experiments to get there and so you're the experimenter in chief. And every time something happens, you learn something. 
either had the wrong salesperson. I need to teach them how to close a little bit better. We didn't get enough leads this week. So I have a marketing challenge I have to attack. We didn't, you know, that you didn't fail. Something in the system just needs you to tweak on it and twist on it. And so be the experimenter in chief. Don't be the failure. Hmm. You know, I love that. Just experiment and recognize them as experiments that you're learning something that doesn't work, you know, and then keep at it because eventually you're going to find something that does. I will say this. Um, thank you so much for being with me today. I mean, this, I, again, I could, I could go on forever. I'm sorry that we only have about an hour here, but, um, you know, thanks for taking the time sharing your inspiring journey. Uh, congratulations on your success with Attentus Technologies and Skynet Broadband. And thanks for, you know, all the philanthropic work that you do. Um, what's the best way to connect with you for my audience? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Charles Bender. That's easy. Um, my email is charles.bender at attentus.tech. It's A-T-T-E-N-T-U-S dot tech, T-E-C-H. Um, I'm always here to help another entrepreneur try to figure stuff out. Um, if you have a, if, if you want to chat, if you want to learn more about EO, I'm happy to help with that as well. Um, but honestly, the what I would share more than anything is find your tribe. You know, that day in the locker room, I didn't feel like I had a tribe. Um, when I joined EO, I found my tribe and that was 20 years ago. And I, I just, it was the first time where I felt like I fit in. I think, you know, I like to call entrepreneurs are kind of the island of misfit toys, right? We're all <laughs> a little, we're all a little dented and damaged and weird. And, and it's what makes us entrepreneurs to go take on these journeys. Um, but uh, when you connect with your tribe and you have that going, whether it's EO or a mastermind group or whatever you're, you're involved in, um, cherish it, lean into it, and, uh, um, and, and always be growing. Yeah, no, that's words of wisdom, Chuck Bender. So I hope you got some great takeaways for your business and personal life and feel inspired to take on the challenges to create your future. I'm Dan Quiggle. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Garage to Goliath. Please share this podcast with your family, friends, and network. Lead well, everyone. Thanks again, Chuck. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You will definitely want to check out the show notes for this episode, episode 55. You can find them at quigglegroup.com forward slash 55. That's quiggle, Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com forward slash 55. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this leadership podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and also gets the message out to more listeners around the world. To rate, review, and subscribe, please visit quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes.